Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. Peter, hothead. Thomas, the doubter. Politician, zealots, tax collectors, uh, fishermen. We would have never chosen those men. So it is very often throughout the history of the people of God. He chooses people that we would overlook. And he works in ways that are sometimes difficult to understand. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and As Pastor Ed continues his teaching series through the book of Judges, he'll be explaining how God doesn't call the qualified, but He qualifies those that He calls. If God has called you to complete a specific task in life, that means He's already given you the power to carry it out. When God calls you to something that makes you feel inadequate or unworthy, that's a great place to be because God desires you to depend on Him for His strength so that He will get the glory. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. going to continue our series in the book of Judges as we turn in our Bibles to the third chapter, the seventh verse and the eighth verse. I'm really going to speak about the whole chapter three from verse seven to 31, but I'm just going to read two verses at this time. Now, just to take you back, Judges is one of the dark books of the Old Testament. It's a book where it seems people lose what they had gained in the book of Joshua, as they went into the promised land. Uh, They are going backwards. There's a downward spiral as they go from bad to worse. When you look at the end chapters, you think, boy, what in the world is going on in Israel? They have progressed backwards, away from God, and you see this downward spiral. Looking at verses seven and eight, and in this chapter, there are going to be three judges that were introduced to, Atnil, Ehud, and Shamgar. These three judges are the first judges in Israel, and you'll study something about them this morning that will apply to the way God works in and among his people. Now, every time in these texts, you'll notice this. When the judge delivered the people, There was peace in the land until the judge died. And then the people all backslid. They went further away from God. And then God sends discipline, and then they cry out to God, and then God sends another deliverer, and then they enjoy peace in the land for a while, and then that judge dies. None of those judges permanently, fully deliver the people. See, God works in mysterious ways. It's hard to understand how he does what he does and the people he uses and the ways he uses and the methods. The best thing to do is just simply trust him and know that he works even when we can't fully understand what he's doing. In verses 7 and 8, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God 
and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that they sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathan, king of Aram Naraham, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. It's always amazing to see the way God chooses various people and uses them. I mean, if you were on the search committee with Jesus for 12 disciples, you would have never come up with the names that he picked. Peter, hothead. Thomas, the doubter. Politician, zealots, tax collectors, uh, fishermen. We would have never chosen those men. So it is very often throughout the history of the people of God. He chooses people that we would overlook. And he works in ways that are sometimes difficult to understand. And that's what this chapter really deals with. It opens up for us this wisdom of God and the ways of God, and it shows us how he disciplines people and he delivers people. Now, there are a lot of truths in there, but you especially could see this pattern of God's discipline and this pattern of his deliverance. Those two things, his disciplining the people of God, his delivering. And now, we noticed in the text, as you look at the verse, first I called case study, God's gracious dealings with his disobedient people. In verse seven, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Well, well, the text tells us that what they did was wrong in God's eyes. It maybe wasn't wrong in the people' eyes around them and people in Cana or the other Jewish people. It maybe was okay. But what really matters is what God thinks in every culture, in every society, in every point of history. Our objective should be to please him. And so what they did displeased him. It was evil and it provoked God to anger. We speak of a God of love and rightly so, but God is also a God who becomes angry. When people compromise and they go from God, God is grieved and hurt. It says that they have forgot God and they forsake God, and those two things are connected. They forget, that means that they don't allow the things to reach into their heart. Their head knowledge doesn't become heart knowledge. What's up here doesn't translate down here. And so they forget, and they move away from God. They forsake God, and this is a pattern. They intermarry with people in the world. They intermarry with non-believers, which God said not to do. And so it provokes God to anger, and they worship false gods. They go away from his word. The Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, only be careful to watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Things could easily slip from our heart. We can easily forget 
the things that God has said and taught us along the way. And that's what's happening here. Now, God's not going to let that go on. He's not going to let those people continue because whom he loves, he disciplines, he chastens, he speaks to. And here, the text tells us the discipline that God used. The anger of the Lord burned anger against Israel. So he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. What happens here is he says, okay, you want to serve foreign gods? Well, then you will serve foreign powers. If you want to serve the world, then you'll eat the fruits of the world. You reap what you've sown. And this king, his name meant double wickedness. So he was doubly cruel. It's like saying, if you think Saddam Hussein was bad, if you think bin Laden was bad. So this man oppressed the people of God for eight long years. It's a foreign nation coming in and oppressing the people of God. The people suffer for all of those years. When we choose the ways of the world, we will suffer. That's just built into the economy and the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening. So you see this pattern going on. Then the people cry out. You see the deliverance God used. But when they cried out to the Lord, now notice the text. It says that they cried out, didn't say they repented. In other words, the burdens and the pressure was so great that they simply cried out, oh God, help us. But they really weren't brokenhearted and, and turning the God the way they ought. It just simply meant they were crying out out of their anguish. This book demonstrates very clearly in one of the most darkest places in the Old Testament, the grace of God. God is so compassionate when he hears people cry out to him, he responds, especially his people. God cares and loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And God takes note of our pain and our suffering, even when we have brought that on ourselves. And even when it's part of his discipline. And so he, he responds and he raises up a deliverer. Othniel is a relative of Caleb. Caleb was a, a comrade with Joshua. He was a man of faith. He went into the promised land and believed, and there was this godly heritage that Caleb had that was passed on to Othniel. He married Caleb's daughter. And so you see this contrast, because in verses five and six, you'll take note that the people of God were intermarrying with the Canaanites and with the people of the land, and God said, don't marry unsaved people. Don't be unequally yoked. That's a principle in both Old and New Testament. And here, what's happening is Othniel's life is in line with God. You can see he's living a godly life. He's been influenced by Joshua, by Caleb, by these godly people in the past. And so he has his passion to live for God. And there's a contrast between he's the first judge and the last judge. Remember who the last judge was in the book of Judges? It's Samson. And who does he go after? Philistine wives. He goes after then Delilah. See, you could see this contrast 
between Atnel, who has a godly wife, a believer who loves God, Caleb's daughter, and Samson, who has an ungodly. And you could see their influence and the direction of their lives. So there's this contrast. But he fully embraced his heritage. Value Christian influence. If your parents were Christian, if your grandparents were Christian, if you have spiritually godly people who have influenced your life, value them, treasure them. And what happens is you could see in Othniel's heart this desire to please God. There's no criticism and there's no character flaws as far as we know in Othniel's life. I was reading a story the other day about a pastor, it was a young pastor and he was dying of cancer. Both his uncle and his father were also pastors, ministers of the gospel. And they were in the room visiting with this young pastor dying of cancer. And he said to his uncle, would you mind if I had a few moments with my father alone? And so his uncle went out of the room and later on the father came out and the uncle said to his father, what happened? He said, my son asked me to just come close to him. He wanted to put his arms around me. And then he asked me to put my arms around him. And then he thanked me for teaching him to love God and for my godly life. And he said it was so moving. The best gift you could give your children is a godly life, is to teach them by your example about God, for them to remember you as a man or a woman of God. There's no greater gift, there's no better gift that you could possibly give. And we see that this man, Othniel, he treasured that. But as important as that is, he needed something else to accomplish. This ministry of being the judge. That was the military deliverer. To deliver them from the oppression of the enemy. He needed, if you look at the text real carefully, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And what I take that to mean is that the spirit of God came upon him for a specific Ask. Now, I think that happens all through Scripture, all the New Testament. I do recognize in the New Testament the Holy Spirit comes in us to dwell, but I also think in the Old Testament what it's saying here is God raised this man up because Othniel was a person who delivered the people from the oppression, but it was God who placed his hand on Othniel to do that specific work. It was the Spirit of God that energized him, that empowered him, that enabled him. It gave him the persistence, the patience, the passion to go forward. We need at times the Spirit of God to come on us to be able to do the work of God. And that's what happened because God's raising this man up. He energizes him. He gives him the drive, the passion to accomplish that. What does Zachariah say? Not by might not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So as you think about God's mysterious ways, first of all, he doesn't let his people get away with things because he loves you and he'll discipline you. And he'll discipline you in various ways and means. And then when he puts his hand on people, he will raise people up to help one another, to do a specific task, 
And sometimes you may feel like, I don't have the ability to do this or that. And that may be a real truth. Because this man, Othniel, even with all of his godly heritage, could not have accomplished releasing and freeing the people from this strong oppressor. It was the Spirit of God that came on him. Now, in the second case study, there's a difference. God's going to put his hand on the man that we're all surprised at. Now, Othniel, we could understand. Uh, He knew Caleb, you know, he had good relationships with the godly people of the past. But here, in case two, God's gracious dealing with his disobedient children again. Now, I use the New Living Translation because it properly interprets the city of Palms. It says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, notice again, it's God that watches and looks and God that judges. So the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. So what God does is he raises up a Moabite. Now they're on the other side of the river, on the other side of Jordan. They're not one of the nations that God said was gonna give trouble to Israel, but God decides to use them to discipline his people. And Moabites, remember, were the descendants of Lot. Here comes King Eglon. Now, watch the text real carefully, the discipline. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies. So they go out, they defeat Israel. What do they do? They take Jericho. Do you remember Jericho in the book of Joshua? It was the very first city that the Israelites conquered. God gave it to them incredibly. The walls came falling down. It was a miracle. Now, because of their disobedience, they lose their inheritance. They lose that city of Jericho that was that landmark that God had miraculously given them. You know, you could lose ground. When you disobey God, you lose ground. When you go your own way, you take steps backward. And here's what's happening. God is trying to get their attention. Here's the Moabites, here's Eglon. And it, now it's very humorous. If you were a Hebrew and you were reading this story, you'd be falling off your seat laughing because here's this very, very huge king. And his name means fatted calf. That's what it means. So he's huge. And here's the guy that God's gonna use. Ehud. And it says he's left-handed, but literally it means that his right hand is bound in Hebrew. And many of the commentators believe that that referred to some type of physical defect. Maybe he was crippled in his right arm, maybe he was wounded in his right arm, but he wasn't able to use it. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. And here he was, a man that probably people thought, wow, What is he going to accomplish? Well, here, King Eglon, he goes to uh, King Eglon and he says, I have a message for you. And the king was alone with him. He sent his guards out. Motion, get out, quiet. They left. He thought, what could this man do? He's just handicapped. And all of a sudden, he draws a sword that he had hidden on his right side. And he pulls it out and he stabs the king. And he assassinates him, and the king falls flat down, and he locks the door. And the Bible says his bowels go out. And the servants are, so Ehud, this judge, is escaping, and here come the servants. They're wondering, why is it taking so long for the king? 
So they probably smell the bowels that have gone out. Oh, he's sitting on a throne. There's a humor to it. Here's God using this person who others would have written off. You know, sometimes we're so aware of our frailties, our handicaps. We say, you know, I can't speak as well. You know, I'm, I, I'm not as smart. Well, I I didn't have the background that so-and-so had, raised in the church, taught the things of God, and we begin to just knock ourselves down. See, God can use whoever he wants, and he surprises us in the people that he uses. About a year ago, I was with a number of pastors, our superintendent was just re-elected for a four-year term at District Council this year, and we all were conversing, and Brother Durst said, I told a friend that I became superintendent. He started laughing. He said, I can't imagine you being superintendent. <laughs> now, he's a good superintendent. He's been superintendent for a number of years. But I, all of those pastors had that same sentiment, not about the superintendent, <laughs> but about themselves. Because you all recognize that we're all frail. We're all frail. How can um, how could God use us with all of our weaknesses, with all of our frailties? God still uses us. And that's one of the things that if we'll allow God, he will take us in spite of ourselves, help us to move beyond ourselves. And so God uses this unlikely person. Now he had courage because he was putting his life on the line. He was risking his own life. It's interesting that the Moabites were defeated. They recaptured Jericho. The land was theirs once again. Maybe some of you feel like you have to reclaim some land. You have to reclaim something that the enemy has taken. Start seeking the God. Start going his way. And it's amazing how God will send deliverance in a variety of ways. It's amazing how God will speak to us when we're disobedient in a variety of ways. We want to say, you know, God's going to work the same way every single time. The last of the judges is Shamgar. He's a farmer. He has a a long pole. It's, It's fairly thick. At the end of it is a sharp instrument. It's used to goad the oxes to make them move. And the other end is sort of like a little shovel area they would try and clean out the plows with. And this farmer kills 600 Philistines. Now, it first of all showed that they didn't have a lot of weapons, the Israelites. And here's a farmer with this implement delivering the people of God with a farm implement. God uses people who will say yes to his will, to his way. Now, every time in these texts, you'll notice this. When the judge delivered the people, there was peace in the land until the judge died. And then the people all backslid. They went further away from God. And then God sends discipline, and then they cry out to God, and then God sends another deliverer, and then they enjoy peace in the land for a while, and then that judge dies. On and on the cycle goes. None of those judges permanently, fully deliver the people. We have a judge. We have a savior, Jesus Christ, whose death brought about our redemption, whose blood brought about our salvation. In Revelation chapter one, verse five, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus Christ is our savior, and he died to deliver us from the power of sin. And he's just sort of trying to get your attention and saying, son, daughter, 
come back, return, come, come home. Throughout the history of the nation of Israel, there have been various forms of leadership. From the creator of heaven and earth, to kings, to judges. The book of Judges details the time when God chose judges like Othniel and Deborah to make right ruling in Israel. Join us each day as Pastor Ed shares with us verse by verse from the book of Judges. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Visiting the website will also help you stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith. At the website, you'll find today's message for you to listen to again, download, or even post to your Facebook page to share with your family and friends. Again, that's all available when you log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue teaching verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Judges. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your word restores.